Amen and amen. Behold what manner of love with which we have been loved. May we do that in Scripture today. Go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. Often joke, you can go to the maps that are in the back and you can keep going left and you'll hit Revelation, but shortly thereafter you're going to hit 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, I'll read in a moment uh, verses 3 through 11. The focal passage will be verses 7 through 11. Remember uh, John the Apostle, the younger brother of James. James and John, sons of Zebedee. They had a nickname. I guess Jesus gave it to them or somebody did. James and John, the sons of what? Thunder. I'd like to know. Maybe when we get to heaven we'll know how they got that nickname. I have some ideas. John says, I write these things, this letter to you. Chapter 5, verse 13. To you who believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So John is writing on one hand to give assurance to believers about their relationship they have in Christ and with one another. John is also writing to counter false teachers and their teaching and to present truth and counter what they have been saying uh, that is false. As 1 John begins to uh, be laid out in front of us and we unpack it, John gives us the foundational nature of truth and love in the context of the church, of the local body of believers. And as he paints the picture of truth and love in the body of Christ, there's some litmus test, some indicators of whether or not we're really walking in the light as he is in the light. One, there's the truth test. You've got to believe the right thing. You've got to believe the biblical truth. And we've already seen John correct some uh, misstatements about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gnostics on one hand were saying he only appeared to be human. And John out of the gate in chapter 1 says, But my eyes have seen and my ears have heard and my hands have touched. He, he didn't just have the appearance of a man. He was one of us. He was a man. But yet this man was not just a man. He was fully God. So John comes out of the gate and he talks about God incarnate. He, he presents truth to counter false teaching. We've already seen that John not only talked about Christ as God incarnate, but he talked about the character of this God of Scripture, that he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, which means that God is holy, holy, holy. Set above, set apart, he is almighty God. He is holy God. And so if we claim to walk in the light, then we have to walk in likeness of that light and that holiness in a life that is set apart. So he defined the character of God for which we strive and to live in the light as he is in the light. But John also said there's a reality about who we are. We are sinners. Sin is a reality in all of our life. And to say that you're without sin, then you lie and deceive yourself. You make God to be a liar. And so there's been truth that is presented to correct the false teaching. There is a test of obedience that we saw the last time, two weeks ago, that we're together. Uh, John basically saying, if you are a genuine believer, if you're a true follower of Christ, 
Here's an indicator. You will obey the commands that Christ gives you. So obedience is a test of truth and a test of a true follower of Christ. If you say you love Jesus but don't obey His commands, then you're lying. You're, you're still walking in darkness. Now we're going to see a second test today as we read, uh, particularly verses 7 through 11. You're going to see a test of love, a social test, one that is fleshed out. Not just what we believe that is true, but how we behave. How we behave not just in obeying commands of, of Christ, but how we behave in obeying the command of Christ to love one another. So with that background, I want to read out loud verses 3 through 11, 1 John chapter 2, and ask if you're able to stand, let's honor the reading of God's Word by standing as I read this passage. As you follow along, look at verse 3. The Bible says, Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected and matured in him. By this we know that we are in him, in Christ. Verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked, to walk or live as Jesus lived. Here's verse 7, kind of a new uh, paragraph beginning here. John says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. So you've had it and you've heard it. But then look at verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you. We'll come back to that. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in what? Darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in what? The light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The old new commandment that we love one another. Let's pray. Father, by your power, your spirit at work within your children, guide us in truth so that when we leave today, we leave compelled by your love for us to walk in the light by loving those around us as you have loved us and as you have commanded that we love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. As you're being seated, go back to the text, verse 7, beginning there. John kind of narrows the focus. First of all, he said, here's a test of, of love, a test of being in the light, walking in the light. If you love God, then you will obey the commands of Christ, God's commands. Then he narrows the focus. He's kind of taking that scope, and he's zooming in. He said, now here's another test, not only just the commands of Christ, but if you're in the light, if you're walking in the light, then you will love others. He's zeroing in. To this point, John has given us a significant test of, of the genuine believer, obedience. And now he gives us a second test, not just obedience to the commands in general, 
but I want to pull out a command and I want to talk about loving others. Just a question as I've studied this and, and read through Scripture. Have you noticed how often the Word of God calls us to love God and love others? wonder why God has to tell us that so much. Could it be that that may be a struggle area that by nature we're prone to wonder and by nature we're prone to be unloving and unkind and harsh rather than loving? I think it's probably true that that's probably our nature, but we're commanded to love God and to love others. Now, love is one of those words that, that we have in our English language that has a variety of meanings. I mean, I can tell you, and it will be true, that I absolutely love my wife. I, I love my wife. I think you'll connect and understand maybe what I mean. Uh, yesterday was my birthday, and thank you for many of the birthday wishes, but my favorite meal is a, a steak and baked potato and salad, and I had my favorite meal on my birthday, so I could say I love steak and potato and salad, and you get what I mean, right? Uh, I could say that I love my brothers in Christ. They're guys that I walk up to, shake their hand and hug their neck and say, I love you, man. And then I can tell Ryan, I love you, my brother. We know what that means, right? But it's in a different context. Yesterday, the season came in. It's called bow season for white-tailed deer. And I was shooting my bow with sweat coming down my brow. And I could say, I love to hunt, but it was too hot to hunt yesterday. You understand what I mean. There's some of you who say, well, I love to travel. I love to go to the beach. I love to go to the mountains. Or I love my dog. I love my cat. We use it in so many ways that if we're not careful, that, that word love gets real static real quick. It's kind of like Christian in our vocabulary today. What in the world does it mean now? Well, the Greeks in the first century, they had four different words in their language that define love. I printed those on your notes so that you could just see them and, and see some of the distinctive features about them. Not all of them are used in the New Testament. Uh, eros, the first one, is the Greek word that is a physical kind of love. It's that love of passion, uh, love between a man and a woman, that sexual kind of love. In fact, it's the word that we get erotic from in our, in our English language. That one's not used in the New Testament. In fact, in the first century, the, it, it had negative connotations. It's not that love between a husband and wife is negative. God created that, and he called it very good. He designed it to be within the boundaries of marriage. But in the culture, it became such a negative word and had associations and such that it's not used in the New Testament. Storge is kind of a family kind of love, if you will, maybe a love of parents and children. It, it has a, a natural affection or obligation to express uh, that love or affection toward. Then phileo is more familiar. Uh, Philadelphia love, brotherly love, friend to friend, brother to brother. And then there's agape, and we call that God kind of love. The love that John uses, the word that he uses in the Greek, the word that Jesus uh, shared with us about how we're to love one another is this word agape love. It is God's kind of love. How did God love us? Selflessly sacrificially, unconditionally. And so John uses this word. In fact, John is often referred to as the apostle of love because love is a theme in his writings. 
and he talks about the love of God, and he talks about us loving one another. In fact, John 3.16 is one of the clearest pictures that John gives us. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When John uses that word agape in his letter, in fact, he uses it 24 times in 105 verses. It's a major theme. He talks about that word love. John tells us that God is love. John reminds us that love is from God. John exhorts believers, as we see in this passage, love one another. But John commands us, do not love the world or the things of the world. And so we'll get to that concept of love. Right now, John introduces the term. And he introduces it with that test of obedience and that social life of brother to brother and sister to sister that we are to love one another. I'm going to break this uh, paragraph down into three realities. Number one, on your sermon notes, there's an old commandment with a current message. An old commandment with a current message. As John introduces this paragraph, he begins with a familiar phrase for his writings. I think this is the first out of six times that John uses this uh, word that is translated in the New King James, brethren. It may be translated beloved or dear children. It is a word that's rooted in, in that root word of agape. And so it is John expressing a heart affection, a close connection with those who are his readers, uh, that pastor's heart coming out to them. Uh, love, John says, is an old commandment. Why is it old? Well, one reason it's introduced a long time ago. That love is introduced in the Old Testament. And, and we look at verse 7, and then we look at verse 8. Let's look at that quickly together. It appears that they contradict, but they don't. He said in verse 7, I write no new commandment, but an old commandment. Then look at verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you. And you want to go, now, wait a minute, John. Which one is it? Is it old? Is it new? Make up your mind. Don't, don't you just feel that every now and then when you read something like that? But John is wanting to get the point across, no, it's both. It doesn't have to be either or. It is an old command that you're familiar with, but it's a new command that's been redefined in Christ in a new kind of way, a fresh kind of way. Now, whether the readers of John's original letter were Jews or Gentiles, they had this in common. They both had heard the command to love God and love one another. In fact, in the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, particularly Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, we hear this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's an old commandment. We see it in the early books of Scripture introducing uh, or instructing the Romans concerning brotherly love. The Apostle Paul quotes from the Decalogue. He quotes also from Leviticus. Owe nothing to anyone except love for one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet and if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in saying this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is indeed the fulfillment of the law. Don't miss the link that is between obedience of loving God and then loving others, loving our neighbor. 
Paul declares that's why it's the fulfillment of the law. Here's the reality. Once we have received that wonderful love from God that's unconditional, that's selfless, that is sacrificial, that God chose to love us even before we responded in repentance and faith to Him. He chose to love us, Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners. God demonstrated that unconditional love toward us that we then can experience that love. But once we experience and receive that love from God, only then do we have the capacity to share that love with those around us. Does that make sense? In other words, you cannot love this kind of way outside of God at work in you and through you. You cannot love your brother as you love yourself unless you first have experienced the love of God at work in your life. The truth is that they were to love one another was something that the readers had heard, and he said that you have heard it from the beginning. He's not talking about creation. I don't think he's talking about the beginning of God giving this message to Moses in the law, but I think he's talking about the beginning of when you heard the gospel when you understood God's love for you in a personal way, the beginning of your life in Christ, the beginning when the gospel connected with your heart and you understood this God of Scripture loved you so much that He gave His only Son and, and Jesus gave up His life and shed His blood and then Jesus is the one through whom you have forgiveness. That's the beginning. He's talking about your spiritual life. So this was taught them from the start, not merely invented by John, but it's something that John says, I heard Jesus with my ears teach this message of love. I saw Jesus with my eyes demonstrate this message of love. And then I experienced from Jesus the love that he extended to others. So uh, John is saying, you've had it with you from the beginning of your walk with Christ. Jesus in the Gospels has already reiterated this love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And he said the second is like the first. Love your neighbor as you love who? Yourself. And Jesus also said that you've heard that it said love your neighbor, but I tell you even love your who? Enemy. So he's redefining it even. Obedience to this instruction to love, love our brothers and sisters as we have been loved is a, a test of the reality of our faith in Christ. An old commandment. We've heard it before. An old commandment. That instruction, love others, is not new. An old commandment. Fifty years before John penned it, Jesus stated it and connected the Old Testament with his relevant message. But it's also a new commandment. Number two, a new commandment with a consistent message. Again, on the surface, verse 8 seems to contradict verse 7. But as we look at it closer, that seeming contradiction really is to clarify how the old commandment to love is at the same time not new, but it is new. It's new in a new kind of way. It's not new in words. It's not new in instruction but it's new in application. It's new with an example that's fresh. What is that example? He is Jesus. And so that word in the Greek, new, is, is kainos, and, and it means new in quality, 
Uh, it means new in essence, not new in time frame. So it's not the first time they've ever heard it. But then Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 34, said this. He said, a new commandment I give you. Guess what it is? That you love one another. But here's the new. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have demonstrated this biblical love toward you, you now love one another. You are also to love one another, and it's by this love that they will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say that people will know that you are my followers by the knowledge that you have. Remember, he's countering false teaching, Gnosticism, that talked about knowledge and, and having significant knowledge and reaching a, an elite level spiritually. Jesus didn't say by the more knowledge that you will gain and, and when you reach the status of knowing uh, about me more than you have arrived. No, he says... And it's not about the knowledge only, but it's about your action, how you demonstrate uh, your love for others in the world in which you live. Paul cautioned in 1 Corinthians 8 to the Corinthian believers, be careful with knowledge alone. Knowledge alone has a tendency to puff up, but love builds up. They don't negate knowledge. We need to learn and we need to grow in doctrine and know biblical truth but we can't just focus on knowledge. Knowledge produces an action in our life, a character that we are to live by. Once again, agape, God's kind of love. When John says love one another, it's an unselfish love. It's a love that gives and expects nothing in return. It's a love that says, I love you in spite of you. Have you ever had to do that this week in the church? among brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you anyway, regardless of the circumstances. It's a love that puts the needs of the other person before your own. Uh, that is the, the kind of love that God has for us and that we're to have toward one another. So what is that connection between love and obedience, loving God and loving our neighbor? Here's really the connection. If you love God with all that is within you, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, only then, after receiving His love in your life, do you have the capacity to love others as you love yourself, as you're commanded to love. Does that make sense? So if you love God with all your heart, then you can love your neighbor. You have a want to to love your neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, here are some things that are going to be true. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from your neighbor, right? If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet what your neighbor has, a house or even his wife. You're not going to commit adultery against your neighbor. Uh, if you love your neighbor, all of the other commandments fall in place because if you really love your neighbor, then you're not going to violate any of, of the other commandments that talk about our relationship with others. Does that, does that connect? Does that make sense? So John is saying the love of God at work in our heart enables us to love others. And if we really love others, then we're not going to trespass against them and sin against them. So love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Agape love, again, is not that sappy, sweet emotionalism. It is a determination of the mind and the will that loves unconditionally. It is easy to love those who love us back. 
But John is talking about loving all people whether they give love back or not. John probably has in mind what I call grace growers in the church. Grace growers in the church are the people that are ill spirits, the people that are hard to get along with, the people that don't think like I think, the people that don't want to follow when you lead, the people that are disgruntled, and, and sometimes they're just miserable people and they make everybody else around them miserable, and sometimes they're hard to love. Would you agree? Yeah? Sometimes a pastor's hard to love, any Ryan? Hey, Ryan, say amen. We're brothers. You see, it's a reality. In the body of Christ, it's not always easy to love one another. And the sooner we recognize that and we get honest and confess that, that it's not easy always for me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't change the reality that I am commissioned to love as I have been loved. And the way that I demonstrate that I am in the light that I am in Christ, that I love Jesus with all my heart, is to demonstrate a love undeserved toward others, unconditional, expecting nothing in return, sacrificial even, and selfless. And that's not easy to do. In fact, we cannot do it in our own strength. John says something here in verse 8. Look at it as a phrase, two phrases that are important. He said, I write no new commandment but an old commandment in verse 7, but verse 8. He says, the new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him. In him is important because we see this love in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to see love in action in the clearest way, study the life of Jesus in the gospel narratives. Think about all the different kinds of people that he came in contact with, yet he lavished love on each and every one of them. We can think about Mary Magdalene. She had a sordid past and a sinful past, yet he showed her love and respect. We think about uh, maybe the rich young ruler who had everything the world had to offer, but he knew he was empty on the inside. On the outside, he did right things, but yet he loved his stuff. He loved his possessions and his riches, yet Jesus loved him even when he ducked his head and walked away, refusing to give up his idol. We think about others like um, maybe Nicodemus, that self-righteous Pharisee, but yet the one that was hungering and longing to know really what it meant to be born again. And later we see Nicodemus took Jesus at his word. We think about the characters like Zacchaeus. You know what he was, right? A tax collector. And in that day, everybody hated tax collectors because they were thieves. They, they ripped them off. They stole their money. But Jesus looked up in a tree, and he saw a little Zacchaeus, and he called him by name, and he said, Zacchaeus, guess what? I want to come to your house today. And Jesus sat at the table with Zacchaeus. That is an unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love because that wasn't popular in the culture. In fact, it brought great criticism to Christ. Think about the disciples that he called to come alongside of him. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. First and foremost, there is impetuous, spontaneous Peter. Sometimes speaking before he should. Sometimes running ahead of the Lord. Sometimes not believing. Sometimes just outright contradicting Christ. James and John, again, sons of who? Thunder. They had to have some of that unconditional love, no doubt. Doubting Thomas, unless I see with my eyes, touch with my hands, I will not believe. Then there's Judas Iscariot. Guess what about Judas? Jesus loved him the same way he loved the other 11. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. 
Jesus understood his heart was not right, yet he lavished an unconditional love upon him. All of the 12 men, with all their weaknesses and their internal disagreements and their failure to have faith at times, Jesus loved them unconditionally. We know we should love our friends, and that's true, but Jesus taught us again in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself, but I say to you, love your who? Enemy. Jesus expressed love to his enemies, wouldn't you say? You see it most clearly in the last week of his life. Not only did he lavish love on them through, through his public ministry, but when they arrested him, he began to demonstrate love. When they blindfolded him, when they spat upon him, when they slapped him in the face, when they joked with him, prophesy who is slapping you, uh, when they nailed him to the cross ultimately, and when they hoisted him up on the cross in place and, and played games at the foot of the cross for his garments, Jesus prayed often, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's love. And so the greatest demonstration of love is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we can say with great confidence, God loves you more than anybody else could. How do we know that? Because of the demonstration of the love of God through the Son of God as He took our place on a cross, died our death, and shed His blood so that our sin debt could be forgiven. No greater love has this than a man lay down his life for a friend. There's another phrase in verse 8. Not only is that love seen in him, see what John says? And in who? You. Who's you? It's you. In Christ. You know how the world learns about the love of God? Mostly. The world that doesn't come to church on Sunday. The world that's not going to watch an evangelist on TV or go to a special event and hear about the love of God, the world is in, learns about the love of Christ through you and through me. And that is why it's so critical that we love God with all that's within us so that we have the capacity of the love of God flowing in us and through us to love others who do not deserve unconditional love. Love others who hurt us. Love others who condemn us. Love others who criticize us. Love others who are not lovable. Love others who are just miserable kinds of people. Love them because that is the command of Christ. When we love as Christ loved, we will be light in a dark world, wouldn't we? But guess what? When we walk out and go back into real life, outside of the four walls of church, when we criticize our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we act and talk unloving toward our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we criticize the pastor and the staff and the deacons and the life group leader and people in the church and I can't believe this and I can't believe that, I didn't like this, I didn't like that, didn't like the song, didn't like the sermon, whatever it is, do you think that unchurched person for any amount of time is ever going to think, wow, I want to go to that church? What are we sharing with them about the love of Christ? You see, the reason God commands us to love each other over and over and over again because we're not easy people to love. And a good exercise for me and a good exercise for each of us, I think, is to stand and look in the mirror and just remember how much it really takes for God to love me. 
And when we realize that unconditional, selfless, sacrificial, undeserved love that God lavishes upon us, who are we to be critical of others? But we're called out to love them when they're lovable and love them when they're unlovable and love them all the time. That's not easy, is it? But John said, that is demonstrated in you. There's a daily commitment with a clear message. Verses 9 and 11 talks about indicators of walking in darkness. Look at them. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. We've already dealt with saying and not doing. It doesn't, lip service does not mean that you're the real deal. You can say that you love your brother, but when you put a dagger in his back by your critical, condemning words, that's not love. You can say you love your brother and sister in Christ, but when you see a need and refuse to meet it, that, that, that's not love. You can say you love, but when you don't even love enough to pray when there's time of need, that's not love. And so indicating maybe a false impression that the false teachers were giving, they said the right words, but they were acting in hatred in their heart. Notice the tense of the verbs, and, and particularly uh, verses 9 and 11. The tense hates with an S on the end. Present tense, it suggests a habitual action. John is describing someone who has a settled attitude of hatred. Uh, their, their conduct continually demonstrates hatred and bitterness and, and resentment, not love. He's not talking about a simple disagreement. He's not talking about a, a wrestling match with the Holy Spirit to forgive and to love that we're really sensitive about and being convicted over and, and we'll get there. He's talking about a deep-rooted bitterness and hatred one toward another. And here's what John's saying. Here's the indicator. If you say you love but you actually hate, then you're fooling yourself. You may not even be born again. You may not be in the light at all. In fact, if you're just saying it and not doing it, you're on dangerous ground. In verse 9, John says that you are in the, if you say you're in the light but you hate your brother, you're actually still living in darkness. Verse 11, John says three things are true concerning those who hate a brother. First of all, wake up and realize if that habitual action of hatred is there, you're really living in darkness no matter what you say. You're walking in darkness. Character brings about conduct. What's inside is going to come out. People do what they do because that's who they are. Third, he said, they are without direction in their life. Hatred blinds us. Have no spiritual discernment when there's hatred in our heart. Indicators of walking in the dark. You know what the main one is? Hatred. That attitude that is settled. There's indicators of walking in the light. Look at verse 10. John's reference in this letter is one of the most basic virtues of our Christian life. He says two things. If we love our brother, it's an indicator that we're abiding, remaining, walking in the light as he is in the light. He is not only enlightened by the gospel, but we're living that gospel message of love. Second, 
John says that such a believer who loves and who abides doesn't cause a stumbling block for others. He is no cause for stumbling. Let me ask you this. Based on your conversation about your Savior, about your church, about your brothers and sisters in Christ, are you a stumbling block for others? Are you a stepping stone for them to understand what it means to love and forgive? You're one or the other. Bottom line, John is saying in verse 10 that living in the light means loving your brother. So if you don't love your brother and there's that deep-seated hatred, then you're living in darkness, no matter what you say. Here's the reality. We're never more like Jesus than when we love like Jesus loved. We're never more like Jesus than when we love like Jesus loved. And that's not easy to do. In fact, it's not natural. Supernatural. The story is told about a little boy. He got up early on Sunday morning and he walked to church. He didn't have any help from his parents. He lived in Chicago. He walked some long city blocks to church. He always liked going to D.L. Moody's church in Chicago. And on his way to D.L. Moody's church from his house, he passed by numerous other churches. There's a gentleman that noticed him walking down the sidewalk every single Sunday morning like clockwork, a little boy by himself with a Bible in hand going to church. But he always passed by his church, and so he stopped him one day, one Sunday morning as he's walking to church, and he said, Son, I've noticed you walking by our church, and it looks like you're going to church. What church do you go to? He says, Well, sir, I, I go to Brother Moody's church. He said, well, you have to walk such a long ways to get there, and you walk by several other churches in order to get there. Why do you walk by all of these churches to go to that church? He said, well, you see, sir, they just have a way of loving a fella over there. Let that sink in. They just have a way of loving a fella over there. What if? What if? In Chelsea, Alabama, the reputation began to build. Why do you go to a Liberty Baptist church? Could it be that we could create an environment by being obedient to the Word of God and filled with the Spirit of God that they just have a person, a way of making a person feel loved over there? I want to ask you, as, as new people come in and you don't know them, as people might get your seat that you sat in last week, as people that might not dress like you dress, might not like what you like, they may be rough around the edges, or they may be an 8 by 10 glossy and they're dressed to the hilt and they're a little too highfalutin for a Liberty Baptist church. How do you treat them? Are we guilty of making people feel loved around here? What would change if that environment was a reality? And when the people of God went out into the streets of Chelsea, Alabama and really loved like God loved, what if we refused to sin on social media by ranting and raving and criticizing and condemning? What if we refuse to take out vengeance and return evil for evil? What if we rather chose to walk as Jesus walked and to love as Jesus loved? 
and let God do what God does. I, I think there'd be revival. And I think there'll be people trying to get here with everything that's within their might, saying, you know what, I just got to go back over there. I don't know really a whole lot about them people, but what I do know is when I walk in, I experience the love of God. What if? You know how that's going to happen? The reality that it's going to take? Draw a circle and put it right here. It starts in my heart. It starts in your heart. So what's in our hearts? Do we love as we have been loved? And are we demonstrating that grace, that love, as we go? Not to the ones that are easy. I'm talking about the grace growers, the ones that rub us raw, the ones that think different than we think, like things different than I like, the ones that are just rude sometimes and hurtful sometimes, the ones that condemn and criticize and hurt my feelings, but to love them. May we walk as Jesus walked, as we embrace an old yet new commandment that is demonstrated in Christ. May we love one another. Let's pray. Father, by your grace and by your power, teach us to love. We all struggle with it. We struggle with loving ourselves sometimes though we're guilty of doing that too much most of the time. We struggle in our marriages when he or she doesn't do what I want them to do, when I want them to do it, the way I want them to do it. We struggle in the body of Christ when my needs, my wants, my wishes aren't met. We struggle when words hurt us and in return we want to be hurtful toward others and lash back out with a hurtful tongue, speech. So Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that the spotlight will come on in our heart, that the light of Jesus will illuminate it, that there will not be any dark corners, shady places, and that you would reveal what's inside. Is there a relationship that I'm struggling with that I need to surrender and love as you love? Is there unforgiveness that I'm holding on to because I've been injured and I need to forgive as I've been forgiven? Is there anger that is deep-seated and settled because I didn't deal with hurt? And because I let resentment and bitterness grow deep and my disposition has just become one of anger and hatred. Father, I pray that you'd help us realize our words reflect what's inside. Our actions speak louder than even those words. Father, I pray that we'll be a people that receive your love well but I pray that we will be a people who reflect that love well we can't we fall short we get mad quick we like to get even we like to hold on to our hurts but I pray Father we'll surrender that and we'll understand to walk as Jesus walked is the best walk the life of freedom is to let go of the hurt 
Oh, to be set free is let go of that anger that has just been boiling within us. And to receive your love first and foremost. Father, help us to be right with you vertically. Once we're right there, then we can make right the horizontal relationships. Father, I pray that you'd set us free in your love. And then we'll be free to love as we have been loved. In Jesus' name, amen.